Hello and welcome to this week's podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder of Law in Sport. There have been a lot of developments and discussion around sport in Australia over the recent months since the Australian Crime Commission's Organised Crime and Drugs in Sport report was published. In this episode, you'll hear a recording from a few weeks ago when I spoke to Paul Horvath, an Australian sports lawyer based in Melbourne, about the ACC's report and what it means for Australian sport going forward. Paul, thanks for joining me today. I wondered if you could start off by telling us what's been going on in Australia since the Australian Crime Commission's report was published. Okay, Sean. Uh, so in Australia, the things were sparked from what was the so-called blackest day in sport on the 7th of February this year when the Federal Minister for Sport and the Federal Justice Minister held a joint press conference together with the CEOs of all of the major national sports and alerted uh, all Australians to problems relating to match-fixing, anti-doping and uh, other corruption-based problems uh, being a major issue throughout Australian sport. The backdrop to all of that was that uh, Lance Armstrong, as we all know, had uh, the seven Tours de France stripped from him ignominiously, which was a very significant day in world sport. That brought down a house of cards uh, in Australia amongst other countries so that the Vice President of Cycling Australia had to resign because he had been a teammate of Lance Armstrong's. Uh, there's a major Australian cycling team called Green Edge, which is on the European tour. The race director of that team had also raced with, uh, I believe, Lance Armstrong and was implicated in doping matters. He also had to stand down. And then there was a major inquiry into cycling in Australia, which led to a series of major recommendations and identified a number of flaws in the doping detection and uh, prosecution processes in Australia. So then flowing from all of that uh, was uh, two days prior to this blackest day in sport that I mentioned. On the 5th of February, Essendon Football Club, which is one of the 18 clubs in the Australian Football League competition, which is our biggest professional sport in the country, made an announcement together with the the competition organiser, the AFL, that there was an investigation that had then and there commenced in conjunction with the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority as to the potential use of performance-enhancing drugs over a sustained period of time during the 2012 season. Uh, that sent shockwaves through Australian sport uh, and if I can just say as a side note, and um, people might think that uh, I'm biased because I'm Australian, I'm sure I am uh, personally, and, and I feel that it's, it's a broader sense uh, within our nation. Obviously, we're very passionate about sport, but also I believe very passionate about having a, a clean reputation nationally and internationally. So this was a concern for us. So... Uh, the Essendon Football Club announced that this investigation was taking place and uh, in a nutshell it was to investigate the use of injections of a range of substances because a particular sports scientist had gone to that club and uh, injected a range of products to players. Uh, 
um, uh, the uh, the types of drugs were peptides, um, calf's blood, um, and uh, something called AOD. 9604, which was an anti-obesity drug, which is said to assist uh, recovery from sport. Uh, then in addition, there was uh, GHRP6, which is another, uh, I understand, peptide-based uh, drug, and so on. Some of these are in banned categories uh, within the prohibited list uh, put out by WADA. Uh, some of them were on the borderline as to being experimental and uh, marked not for human use uh, and not approved for human use at the times that these drugs had been used. And it then um, uh, turned out that there were six National Rugby League clubs, which is um, uh, one of the other major professional sports in the country, uh, being investigated for their links with the same sports scientist. So... Uh, uh, interestingly, uh, that um, investigation started uh, in uh, February, on the 5th of February, and is ongoing. Uh, and it's um, estimated or, or guesstimated by the lawyers involved in those cases that a result won't be out until probably mid-August this year. So all of these big shockwaves are uh, running through Australian sport and... Um, uh, the sorts of uh, talk uh, when, when, when these sporting um, problems arose were along the lines that what if half a dozen, what if 10 players from a club are found to have taken a banned substance? Uh, they, uh, in, in normal course of events, would be banned uh, for some um, 6, 12 months, etc., maybe two years. Uh, so you really strip a professional sporting league down to the bone uh, and uh, it, it really undermines the competition. Uh, for example, worst case scenario, that club may not be in a position to field a team at all. And so there was um, real concern around some of the potential consequences. What I can say, um, certainly in the AFL-based club situation, is that the uh, club has consistently said, and I went to a breakfast last week where the president of that club uh, said uh, again with confidence that he believed that the, um, that the club uh, was, had nothing to fear, that, that it was confident that it would be cleared of all charges. So, so what they know internally... Uh, no doubt uh, is not being released to the public. So they've got some reason to feel confident uh, that they've got nothing to hide and that, that, that um, there won't be any suspensions for players, etc. So um, that's an interesting footnote as well. The other thing I should note as well is that um, uh, in February, March this year, the federal government introduced some legislation into the federal parliament uh, to expand the powers of the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority. And uh, this created a large um, backlash from sports-based organisations, sports lawyers, particularly in Victoria, the state that I'm based in, uh, made um, written submissions to the federal government and also appeared before federal uh, government uh, committees to object to the legislation um, because it was said to be too broad. 
Um, it was said that some of the powers under that proposed legislation were like a star chamber. That is, that an athlete could be forced to come down and appear in front of it uh, with no ability to refuse to attend. Uh, they could not exercise uh, the privilege against self-incrimination. They had to answer questions. If they didn't answer questions, they would face a fine of up to $5,000, which is about £2,500. Uh, and that offence would be ongoing on a daily basis if the information wasn't provided. That is, uh, every day that the information wasn't provided was a new offence. So very serious uh, penalties and all the rights that are normally associated with offences uh, were not being given to, in particular, um, athletes who might appear before these types of um, uh, investigations by the National Anti-Doping Authority. So all of the lawyers had some real concerns about that legislation and also that a lot of the athletes, um, probably 97, 98% of the uh, elite athletes in this country are amateurs, don't have the resources to defend themselves uh, if they're summoned to appear before an, a body like the Anti-Doping Authority, etc., so that's a real concern, and that was a real concern. Um, and uh, the net effect is that um, the legislation hasn't got through yet, but at the same time, we all recognise that there was a need for some broader powers and legislation to force certain people to have to give evidence. And one of the central people, the sports scientist that I mentioned, who was linked with almost all of the NRL and AFL clubs where... Uh, alleged performance-enhancing substance that's been administered has steadfastly refused to give evidence before any of those uh, bodies, uh, and that's been a real impediment to getting to the bottom of uh, what was taken in those cases, although that sports scientist has a number of times spoken to the media and said that um, he didn't get involved in any performance-enhancing substances. Uh, but it seems that... Um, that legislation may not pass uh, and we've got a federal election coming up so there'll be a new government soon and uh, it'll be back to square one as to whether or not they want to create any new legislation to um, require people to give evidence in uh, a sports doping context. I understand the Australian government are looking to regulate sports scientists and I wondered what you thought on that. I also understand that the Australian Olympic Committee are introducing a form of contract that would mean that if an athlete is found to have doped or has been involved in doping in some capacity and they have not disclosed this, that they could be liable for criminal sanctions. Well, I suppose I've got a slight concern um, as to the approach and attitude, I guess, taken by the Australian Olympic Committee uh, because, again, when I presented to the federal parliament about this legislation, the view was taken that if uh, that, that, that fines, financial penalties, are simply not enough for the athletes. Uh, the, the view, uh, as quoted in the newspapers from the AOC uh, president of Australia, was that um, well, athletes uh, win thousands of dollars uh, all the time uh, at the Olympics, so money means nothing. You've got to impose jail penalties for uh, doping offences. And I think that um, you're, you're aware, Sean, that um, uh, one of the problems with that sort of approach is that 
there are plenty of uh, unintentional or inadvertent examples of doping. And if what we're doing is imposing jail sanctions for those sorts of circumstances, then that is a major concern for me as, as, as a lawyer that advocates for different people caught up in these processes. And often uh, it's, it's not so much the mainstream uh, athletes and the high-profile athletes that are caught up. Uh, I suppose it, it, it can be uh, fringe athletes or someone who wants to uh, just improve themselves. Um, and I'll, I'll just give you a quick uh, interesting example. Um, uh, represented a fellow in, uh, uh, not at the elite level, but close to the elite level of Australian rules football. And uh, he was said to, uh, at the beginning of pre-season, be in the fat club because he um, uh, was obviously uh, carrying more uh, or less condition than he should have been. And, and on that basis, he felt embarrassed um, uh, more was expected of him. He wasn't a first-year player, etc. He felt embarrassed and felt the need to get some results. So he went online and looked for a substance, ordered the substance, never received it. But the simple process of ordering a substance using your mobile phone constitutes the offence of possession of that substance, giving you an automatic two-year ban. Uh, and in that case, the semi-professional athlete who's a tradesman by day um, uh, got 18 months out of the sport and that was doing really well in terms of the defence. So I guess I just say that to illustrate that, that in terms of penalties and pushing by the Australian Olympic Committee for the sorts of, I think you mentioned jail before in terms of the contracts, and I am aware that they've tightened up the requirements. I think that um, athletes uh, on the Australian Olympic team now have to to put in writing and say, I've never doped before, because then if it's found that at some t stage in the past you've doped, that form can be used as a basis for a perjury charge, uh, a criminal charge that can send you to jail a la Marion Jones. And on the regulation, we spoke about the supplements market before we, we started recording, And but what can we do to ensure that the medical staff are... Um, being held accountable and I know there's a revision in the wider code about associated uh, persons but um, what can mm. we do in the short term about that? Yeah look um, I'll just come back to your question about sports scientists you mentioned Sean uh, that certainly at the moment there's legislation before the federal parliament there's a parliamentary committee inquiring and taking evidence from a range of people arising out of all of uh, these issues and the current investigations to try and regulate the people involved in those um, sports in particular to prevent the same thing happening again. So I haven't been closely involved in that legislation, but it's, it's fair to say that there will be much closer regulation of that industry and what people do and what qualifications they need to hold and so on. So I think there's been a massive lesson learned there. Um, and uh, I don't know if it's the technology getting ahead of the regulation, but, but certainly that's what's happened there. Um, the second aspect you asked me about was supplements. Um, a lot of the talk, uh, certainly in the professional sports in Australia, again arising uh, as a probably learning from uh, these recent uh, investigations has been that perhaps the way to go is to have a permitted um, substances list 
uh, rather than a prohibited substances list, if you like. So forget about the WADA code. That will still remain there uh, for the foreseeable future. But <clears throat> uh, whether it's centrally uh, administered by ASADA or whether it's uh, something that works in conjunction with, uh, in, in Australia, ASADA and the peak uh, national sporting bodies could come to some agreement and there could be a process by which particular supplements and products could be um, tested and accepted as being permitted for use. Uh, and then, as I understand the proposal, and certainly uh, the Australian Football League has, has mooted this idea that if anyone used anything other than that list of permitted substances, they might get in some sort of strife. Um, I haven't given that any real thought, uh, I guess, as a lawyer. Um, th th there's an immediate human rights reaction as to personal choice and so on, uh, and, and you can imagine there'd be uh, the occasion for issues around um, what may or may not be personally compatible with me and my genetic and physical makeup, and, and all of those products on that list don't suit me, and so I've got to look to something else. And, and it may be that uh, some exceptions can be created there. So I guess that's another angle, um, and, and that's arguably a simplistic response to uh, the, the question of, of supplementation. Um, on the other hand, I don't think that there's any need for any greater. Um, uh, regulation of the supplements market. I think there's always going to be rogue uh, producers of supplements out there. Uh, I think that people who want to sail close to the wind uh, are going to do that and, and will do that. And I think that that's part of uh, a democratic society. So I'm willing to cop that sort of risk. Um, and I hope that doesn't sound... Uh, 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 cut against my other position and that is that um, I think that, that there's got to be adequate room for defences and sympathy um, for people who inadvertently use certain substances. Um, so I, I, I just feel that um, there's uh, processes that you have to follow. Uh, for example, if you're a legitimate um uh, wanting to use a legitimate product, you can check out with the in Australia the Sports Anti-Doping Authority is this product okay? Uh, is it suspect? And, and and just follow a fairly rigorous process for, for using these substances. Um, and uh, uh, just just for the benefit of, of anyone listening, um, I'll just give you an example of a recent case I was involved in. Um, which, uh, and I think as you say, we, we discussed before coming on here some cases of people that just aren't trying to cheat. Um, so again, I, I was uh, representing uh, an athlete in uh, not not the elite level of Australian rules football, but close to it. Uh, this athlete uh, was also studying uh, at a very high level at university, uh, had gone out to his university ball on a Thursday night, uh, he'd finished up um, after a, a few beers, as you do at University Ball, and uh, in the wee hours of the morning had gone back to his own home with a few other people and continued dancing around the lounge room. 
one of his Bright Spark uh, housemates came out with a, um, a package, uh, a, a, a container, um, which, which contained a particular supplement that was unopened, had never been used, and someone said, oh, let's have a stir a scoop of this into our drinks and, uh, uh, and uh, um, we'll, we'll dance for an extra hour or something like this. And uh, uh, no one gave it a second thought. Everyone's um, uh, had uh, quite enough refreshments at that stage, so they did this. So the guy then plays uh, his game of football three days later and um, finds out a month after that that he's tested positive, um, obviously scratching his head trying to work it out. The rules are there to stop cheats, to stop people gaining an advantage. And it's just impossible to fathom any way in which that could have been intended to cheat. Um, there, there could not have been any benefit for him three days later because um, uh, these... Um, Sporting supplements uh, that, that that are pre-workout type supplements have have a uh, effect life. In, in other words, they have a benefit probably for 20 to 40 minutes after after being taken, etc. So he plays his game 72 hours later. So there just can't be a benefit. Um, the level of intent there is extremely low, and um, uh, the athlete there. Um, uh, received uh, uh, quite a modest ban, but nonetheless a, nonetheless a ban. And um, uh, I might also say that um, uh, that's a case uh, uh, where um, there's a consideration for um, um, uh, some, some further appeal action uh, uh, that I won't go into in detail. But the, the, the point is, again, um, that... that, that you question, I guess, um, some of the penalties being imposed. Uh, uh, not that I'm saying that some penalty wasn't appropriate, but um, certainly that was aggressively um, uh, prosecuted by the authorities. Well, thank you, Paul, for your insights about what's happening uh, in terms of anti-doping in Australia at the moment. Uh, before we end the show, I wondered if you could just tell us about the upcoming sports law conference that's taking place in Melbourne. Yes, certainly. Um Sean, uh, we have a 25-year celebration of the Melbourne University Law School Sports Law Program uh, taking place on the 11th and the 12th of July this year. Uh, at your very own Jonathan Taylor, we're delighted to have him speaking about the European um, impact on, on the world of sports law. We've also got Jim Nafziger, who's from the uh, US coming out to speak about, um, I think, arbitration cases and so on in sports law. And uh, I should just say, uh, significantly, uh, Hayden Opie uh, is the Director of Studies of the Melbourne Law School Program. He founded that program. Uh, any of your listeners who know the Australian New Zealand Sports Law Association was also founded by Hayden. So Hayden has had a very significant contribution to sports law in Australia and uh, certainly uh, helped develop it uh, to, to, to where it is today. Uh, and uh, he should be congratulated heartily uh, for what he's done 
for for sports and sports law in the country. And um, I'm sure a number of uh, your sports lawyers may have come across him at uh, Sport Accord, for example. He was there recently in St Petersburg, uh, and he's come uh, regularly at a, at a range of national and international conferences uh, speaking. So. Uh, I think it's um, a great tribute to Hayden's efforts. That was Paul Horvath, a sports lawyer and principal at the law firm Sports Lawyer in Melbourne, Australia, talking about the recent ACC report and anti-doping in Australia. Well, that's all we have time for for this show. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget, for all your expert commentary and analysis on the latest issues and legal developments in the world of sport, go to lawinsport.com. Follow us on Twitter at Law in Sport or go to our YouTube channel, Law in Sport TV.